Hello, co-opters and listeners, and welcome back to the Co-opcast, the official podcast of the UCHA Co-op. I'm Adrian Acosta, and today I will be your host for this special episode. Our guest today is Joseph Murphy. Joseph is a second-year PhD student of sociology at UCLA, and he joined the Co-op in the summer of 2020. Hi, Joseph. Hi. Thanks for having me. So the first question I wanted to ask you is just, how did you learn about the co-op and how do you like living here? Um, so I'm like the third link in a chain of um, students coming to the co-op. So first, um, also a PhD student in ge- geography was here, living here last year with um, Brian Zadie, who um, ended up being my roommate. So she recruited him back in January of 2019 um, we had already planned on rooming together after our first year um, at UCLA. And then since he moved here, I decided to come with him. So I moved in in, um, in summer, in August last year. Interesting. So was this, so this sounds like it was, was your first choice uh, when coming here for UCLA, you already had a plan of where you live? Well, this is my second year. So my first year I was in grad housing and grad housing is super expensive. Yes. It was like when I was when I was there, it was like 1580 a month. Um, and now we're here and it's like 600 a month. So I'm saving like a thousand dollars. Plus there's the whole food thing. So it's like 12 or 1300 really that it's like we're saving. Right. Exactly. It makes a really, really big difference. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you more about uh, your experience at UCLA as a grad student. Uh, But first, I'm wondering what brought you to UCLA for grad school specifically? Did you choose UCLA over other schools or um, what was your uh, decision in coming here? So I chose, um, let me say this, I applied to like eight schools Um, once I got my undergrad, which was also in sociology um, at Clemson. Um, So I applied to UCLA, I applied to Wisconsin, um, Madison, I applied to um, Notre Dame. And then I wanted to, actually, I guess that's the interesting story here. So like, I wanted to apply to also, I wanted to also apply to Stanford. But um, at the time, like I couldn't afford, I couldn't afford to apply to both Stanford and UCLA. So I had to pick one and um, I, I just happened to choose UCLA um, over Stanford, which made me like, I mean, I'm sad about like what could have been, but honestly, I think being here was probably the best thing for me. Um, so yeah, I applied to a bunch of schools. I got into three, I got into our three PhD programs. I got into UCLA's, I got into Wisconsin's and I got into Notre Dame's. Um, so I visited Notre Dame and I liked it a lot. But when I came to UCLA, like I just felt like the faculty here, like it was a much greater um, pull factor besides like the glitz and glam of living in Los Angeles. I'm from South Carolina. So like, like my hometown was 7,000 people um, versus like moving here where it's like several million, second most populous city in the nation. It was, it was a big change. Um, anyway, besides that, the, the biggest thing was just like the pull factor of my, um, the person who ended up becoming my advisor and a couple of other people in the department who were just like giving me really good advice and um, just seemed a lot like they wanted me. Um, 
So before I accepted the offer here, they actually um, recommended me for a fellowship that I ended up getting, um, and that was called Competitive Edge. Um, it's this like program for underrepresented um, underrepresented minorities in um, basically in PhD programs. Um, and that's where I ended up meeting Brian, who is my current roommate. I see. So did you also study sociology uh, for your undergrad major? Um, or how did you end up in sociology? That is a long story. <laughs> so, and this also ties into like why I research what I research. Um, so I grew up as like a working class kid. I'm a first generation college student. I'm black, poor, all that stuff. Um, I'm a part of a bunch of minorities. Anyway, um, so while I was going up in school, I wanted to go to um, one college, Clemson, for um, psychology. Actually, I wanted to go to a different college, Winthrop University. It's another school in South Carolina. Um, I wanted to go there for psychology, but um, my calculus teacher in high school, she suggested that because I was good at calculus, like I had A's in the class or whatever, that I try and do engineering because, you know, like engineers make lots of money. They've got good job security and all that stuff. This was back in like 2011. So it was a couple years after the Great Recession. So like employability was is a big thing. Um, so I decide to listen to her. I go to Clemson. I try and do engineering, but like I hate it. I hate chemistry <laughs> and I hate biology and I hate physics. I really hate physics. Uh -huh. um, so I was like, I, I can't do this, but I was but I had like gotten a bunch of scholarships that paid my way to to basically stay there and do yeah. engineering. Um, but like it was it was killing me on the inside. <laughs> it was killing my soul. Um, I mean, let me just say as someone in engineering, I hate it too. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I'll let you continue. Oh, yeah. So like I was um, I was feeling really bad and I was just like, well, I can't I can't see myself just doing something that I hate for the rest of my life for the sake of money. So I decided to switch to psychology, which is the major I originally wanted to do. But at Clemson, their psych program is mostly focused on like business applications, like industrial organizational work, which is not at all what I was interested in. I was more interested in like clinical psych stuff. So none of that really helped improve my mental state any. So um, I ended up um, having to medically withdraw from the university and because, like I said before, I was low income, I basically couldn't afford to seek treatment. I couldn't afford therapy. So I was basically out of school. I worked at Walmart for like six months. Um, that didn't work out. Um, I had a suicide scare for a bit. Um, that might be a bit much for your listeners. But let's, let's just say that I didn't, I wasn't in the best place mentally. So I went, um, I ended up going back home I stayed home for a year um, and then I got a job doing transcriptions with um, this online transcription service called rev.com. So um, with that service, basically people get to upload audio recordings, kind of like this one. Um, and then you have somebody transcribe it for you. So just like type out whatever people were saying. So I did that for a while and I did um, a bunch of transcriptions for like education research that was being done. I actually ended up finding, um, doing a research project for a grad student that I ended up working with again once I came back to Clemson. So 
Um, doing doing all of that work, transcribing the education research made me realize like, man, I really like school and I really like education. It's important to me. So um, doing that job gave me enough money that, and then saving money by staying home gave me enough money to be able to like see a therapist. Um, I got better. Therapy is good. You should do therapy if you can. Um, anyway, so then that happened. I was able to get back to the university. And so I thought like I wanted to do social work because being like unemployed, um, being as poor as I was, like struggling to make ends meet and all that stuff. I was like, well, I want to be somebody that can help these people. But Clemson doesn't have a social work program. Um, so the closest thing they had was this concentration called social services which was in the sociology major. So that's how I got to sociology. And then while I was in um, the different social classes, I realized like, hey, this is really speaking to me. Like sociology is the basically the study of um, group interactions and like, why do people do things um, like socially? So um, I realized that what I was interested in wasn't like this micro scale, like trying to help individual people with their problems, but trying to address these problems at a larger scale. And so I had always been told growing up that like, oh, um, you work hard in school, you get to a good college, you get to a good college, you get a degree, you get a degree, you can do anything, or at least you'll have like a good job and you can you know, be in the middle class or whatever. Um, my, my recent education has sort of problematized that idea, but like, I still like value education if for nothing else, like for its own sake. I think that it's valuable. Anyway, um, that's a very long-winded way to say that's how I got to um, sociology from engineering. And then while I was at Clemson, I just did, I participated in um, education research and that education research, um, you know, helped prepare me for uh, a graduate career like doing ed research made me realize like, oh, this is what I want to do for a living. Um, so like the project that I was working on in undergrad, um, the main one, I was in a couple, but the main one was looking at um, factors impacting student selection into um, STEM careers and student math placement, um, particularly into calculus um, for like students who are majoring in STEM fields. So um, we had found that students who went to college not being calculus ready. That is, if they took their math placement test as a freshman, they didn't place into calculus one, um, then those students were much, much less likely to graduate with, a, with an engineering degree. Um, and so we were trying to look at the different factors for like explaining why that might be. Um, and we went to a bunch of different schools, a different two-year technical colleges and four-year schools, four-year public schools in South Carolina. And we realized um, that there were like these big differences between the um, students who attended the two-year schools and would transfer to a four-year school and the students who came straight from the four-year school or who went straight into a four-year school. Um, and then one of those big differences ended up being just like talking with guidance counselors um, a lot of the students at the two-year schools felt like guidance counselors were really ignoring them or that they their only focus was getting them out of high school and not actually helping to prepare them for their careers. Whereas the students at the four-year schools, they felt like their guidance counselors did do that, but they thought they that the guidance counselors were 
either inept at the job or they didn't really rely on the guidance counselors because most of the time, these students weren't first generation, they were continuing generation. Their parents had gone to college and they were able to um, basically rely on their parents' social capital, that is, or cultural capital, that is their knowledge of the um, culture of college, the things that college institutions value to be able to get into and um, finish like a college degree. So that's what led me to um, research, um, basically like expanding access to higher education, because I think that it's, it's not fair that only people whose parents have gone to college should be the ones to, you know, benefit, to reap the benefits of a college education. So uh, when you came to UCLA, did you see yourself doing, following the same, uh, like, did you identify someone that did research in a very related area um, or uh, how, how has your research interest evolved from going from undergrad to grad school? So when I was looking for grad schools, um, and if there's anybody listening who wants to go to grad school, this is a, something I would recommend. Um, you like take a look at um, all the schools that you're interested in. Um, more importantly, look at the faculty that are there and see if there's anybody who's doing work that you're interested in. Like it doesn't have to match your interest exactly, but if there's somebody who's like, if you're interested in education, like I am, you're not gonna wanna go to a school where nobody's like studying education or like I'm interested in higher education specifically. So I don't wanna go to a place where the only education research is being done at like the primary level, primary school level or something like that. Um, so, the schools that I ended up picking to apply to were places that had more than one faculty member that was um, doing research that was interesting to me. If they either had done research um, or was currently doing research that I thought was interesting. I also tried to pick places with um, younger professors so I don't have to worry about them like retiring halfway through the program or whatever. But I think that one is a smaller concern. Okay, so that kind of brings me to one question that I have someone um, in a more uh, mathematical field. So how exactly or what are the kinds of research methods or how do you do re your research um, in this field of sociology? Um, does it involve a lot of uh, statistics to reach conclusions or a lot of uh, more, I don't know, like just uh, personally interviewing um, some of your research uh, subjects? So um, yes, sociology is very broad. We use both qualitative and quantitative research methodology. Um, yeah, it's, it also depends on like what your, what your um, area of focus is. So like one of the research areas that I'm interested in is stratification or like how exactly is society structured so that some people are on top and other people are on the bottom. Um, so that field is very like quant heavy. So we do a lot of statistics. We'll use like, you've got your basic stuff, like your um, general linear models. Then you'll have like more um, complex stuff like machine learning, um, um, network analysis. Um, there's like, there's a lot of different ways to look at that. But yeah, um, for me personally, um, I'm planning on doing a mixed methods project. So my, um, my master's, the thing that I'm working on right now, I'm looking at, um, I'm doing an event history analysis of, um, of students' risk 
um, this is an air quotes, this, that's just the terminology, <laughs> risk or hazard of going to college. Um, looking to see like if talking with certain institutional agents, that is people whose job it is to like help students through school, like guidance counselors, teachers, principals, and the like, if talking or engaging with those people um, makes students, particularly first generation students, more likely to go to college. Um, and so I'm interested in doing this past fall, I did, excuse me, past spur, um, spring, yeah, winter and spring, I did preliminary analysis, um, doing just a, your basic like um, logistic regression, studying um, the differences within the um, first generation student population about like who is more likely or less likely to go to college considering demographic information like race, gender, sex, parent income, that kind of stuff. Um, as well as school context. So like if your school offers AP classes or if you have, um, if they help you with like filling out the FAFSA, that kind of stuff, as well as um, individual level factors, like if a student is involved in SAT, ACT prep, that kind of stuff. Um, and from that, I found some interesting things just like um, compared to students who didn't talk to their guidance counselors about financing college, students who did talk to their guidance counselors um, about like how to fund college were like 79% more likely to go. Um, but talking with guidance counselors, talking with teachers, talking with anybody about anything else besides funding college didn't actually help first generation students get to college um, or at least become more likely to go to college. Yeah. And that, yeah, it is interesting because it's like you would think like one of the roles of a guidance counselor is to help prepare students to go to college. So like, why is it, at least for the first generation student population that only going to, um, excuse me, that only talking to them about how to fund college is what matters? So uh, I wanna bring up something that um, I was just reminded of. Um, so I, I recently uh, heard about this study in another podcast I listened to um, about economics and they were talking about a study where uh, about uh, for FAFSA, which uh, many, at least American uh, uh, students fill out um, for financial aid from college, that mm -hmm. what they looked at was uh, the difference between just increasing the amount of money that they that you give to, 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 to students filling out this form versus just simplifying the form. And what they found was, uh, I thought was kind of surprising that that um, that I think it was something like like doubling the amount of money that students were given versus just simplifying the form. By just simplifying the form, more students ended up enrolling in college than just giving them more money at the end of of the form. So this just made me think a lot about how, um, like like where are what what are the areas where the incentives matter so it seemed to me just that like just like like yeah like giving people more money alone is not enough but like just reducing the friction between the stage of high school to college and like reducing that barrier in this case one barrier being like how long does it take you to fill up one of these forms for financial aid like that just makes a really big difference and i thought yeah i'm a program like giving people money to go to college i think that's great but uh, that costs money and doing something so simple as just simplifying the form makes a really big difference. So 
I will echo that, yes, like filling out the FAFSA was hard. I remember I had to do it. Like I had to figure out how to do it myself my first year. I didn't have a school that like helped you prepare a FAFSA. Right. Um, that was a survey item on the data set that I'm using for the masters. Um, but yeah, I would say you have to you have to think about like why is it that um, like I, I think you have to think about the fundamental assumption here about like giving students more money versus making the um, form simpler. So like by giving them more money, you're just assuming that people aren't filling out the FAFSA because they're not going to get a big enough reward, but simplifying the form, making it, making more people apply, that suggests that the issue itself isn't with like the financial incentive, but with um, the ease of, basically the ease of use. Like if you don't know how to figure out the FAFSA, then it doesn't really matter if they are gonna offer you $1,000 or $10,000. If you can't figure out how to file the form, like you're not gonna get anything. Um, but this also like reflects what I was saying before, like this sort of, um, cultural capital, this knowledge that you have about how to fill out these sorts of forms. And that's something that people generally from more privileged backgrounds, continuing generation students and the like, are more likely to have. So one last question I just wanted to ask you uh, was about your future plans. Uh, where do you see yourself uh, going in your career after UCLA? Um, well, I have been told that most um, graduates of the UCLA sociology program tend to end up teaching at other um, like UC schools. So maybe I'll end up at a UC, maybe I'll end up at a CSU. Um, but that's funny because my friend was texting me um, this morning, literally asking about like, what would I do if, um, well, I guess he was asking if I didn't get a tenure track job, but regardless, anyway, um, <laughs> The plan is to hopefully land a tenure track job. Um, if that doesn't happen, um, I mean, I'll probably go into a postdoc. Um, and then after the postdoc, I will, again, try and get a tenure job. If that doesn't work, then I will most likely try and work with the Department of Education. So like there's, a, um, there's a, um, an office in the Department of Education called the Office of, um, uh, what was it? Um, civil Rights, yeah, Office of Civil Rights. And so it'd be cool working with them to produce statistics on like stratification and education. That would be like, I think that would be pretty enjoyable. Um, if that doesn't work for some reason, I can also, also think about like maybe working for a, a think tank somewhere in like California or in DC. Uh, that might be like a, another good option. Great. Yeah, that's what I've got for now. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining us for today's podcast. Yeah. And that'll be it. Thank you. Thank you. I hope everyone has a great day.